Okay, good. A number of you have. That's a wonderful old gospel song. Jeremiah chapter 40 in your Bibles this evening. Jeremiah chapter 40. And while you're turning there, I'm going to get uh, things set up here. Let's go to screen area. All right, now it's not showing up. There we go, there we go. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's go ahead and unblack it, guys, and see if we got it. Okay, good, all right. Now, hopefully it will work. Jeremiah chapter 40, I want to read the entire chapter to set the stage and then We're going to talk about events that take place from chapter 40 to 44 in a big bite for us of Scripture this evening. But as I was reading through Jeremiah chapter, uh, or the book of Jeremiah this week, I finished it this morning where the Lord reminded me of uh, this section of Scripture, chapter 40 to 44, and the significance of it and an important lesson that it teaches uh, that uh, has been a challenge to me, a comfort to me, a reminder to me. And I want to uh, bring it to all of us this evening. Jeremiah chapter 40 and verse number 1. By the way, the title for the message this evening, you can see it, Faulty Hearts and Itchy Feet. And uh, you'll get the meaning of that. How many of you, somebody just tell me the, the meaning of itchy feet. If a person has itchy feet, what does that mean? They want to move. They want to keep moving. They want to go, okay? It, it doesn't mean that they need to scratch those feet, all right? That's, uh, it's a metaphor for they want to they get out of here. They're fleeing a problem or a situation. They got itchy feet. Jeremiah chapter 40. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzar Adan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah, when he had taken him being bound in chains among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said, because ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you. And now behold, I loose thee this day from the change which were upon thine hand. Why would Nebuzar Adon do that? The reason is, is because through Nebuchadnezzar, he and Nebuchadnezzar had found out that Jeremiah was the prophet who had been prophesying for decades to the people of Judah, submit to Babylon, submit to Babylon, submit to Babylon. Jeremiah would pay a high price for that. He would be accused of treason for preaching that message to the people of Israel, submit to Babylon. That's God's plan, submit to Babylon. If you don't submit to Babylon, you're going to be in real trouble, okay? Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar heard about that, and so when they finally recognized who Jeremiah was, as a reward, if you would, for his preaching that, they let him go. Now, picking up verse number four. Now, behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thy hand. If it seem good unto thee to come with me unto Babylon, come. And I will look well unto thee, but if it seem ill unto thee to come with me unto Babylon, forbear. Behold, all the land is before thee, whither it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go, thither go. Now, while he was not yet gone back, he said, Go back also to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon hath made governor over the cities of Judah. Dwell with him among the people, or go wheresoever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go." So the captain of the guard gave him victuals and a reward. Victuals are what? 
food, okay? And let him go. Verse number six. Then went Jeremiah unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, to Mizpah. Mizpah is about six miles north of Jerusalem. And dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. This is after the third phase of the Babylonian captivity, after Nebuchadnezzar leveled the walls, burned the gates with fire, destroyed the temple, took the final phase of Jews into captivity to Babylon. And so now Jeremiah has been given his liberty, whereas for the last several years, you remember under Zedekiah in particular, he has been abused and he's been imprisoned because of preaching the message, Submit to Babylon. Now, when all the captains of the forces that were in the field, even they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, governor in the land, and had committed unto him men and women and children and the poor of the land, and of them that were not carried away captive to Babylon, then they came to Gedaliah to Mizpah. Even, notice this name, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan, and Jonathan, the sons of Kariah, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, and the sons of Ephi, the Netophethite, and Jezaniah, the son of Ekathite. Yeah, right, okay. They and their men, and Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, swear unto them and to their men, saying, notice this key admonition, fear not to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with thee. We'll see before the end of the message tonight, this was God's instruction and promise too. As for me, behold, this is Gedaliah speaking, I will dwell at Mezpah, again north of Jerusalem, about six miles. Jerusalem at this time is uninhabitable. And I will serve the Chaldeans, which will come unto us. But ye, gather ye wine and summer fruits and oil, and put them in your vessels, and dwell... In your cities that ye have taken. Likewise, when all the Jews that were in Moab and among the Ammonites and in Edom and that were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah and that he had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, even all the Jews returned out of all places whither they were driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah unto Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. Moreover, Johanan the son of Kareah and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah to Mizpah and said unto him, now notice this warning, dost thou certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, this is east across the Jordan from uh, Jerusalem area, about 40 miles, the king of the Ammonites hath sent Ishmael the son of Nethaniah to slay thee. If you go back up to verse number 8, this Ishmael was named He was there. He had gathered to uh, Gedaliah, the the Jewish governor appointed by the Babylonians. And he had gathered. He was there, though, for a very evil purpose. What does he come there for? The king of the Ammonites hath sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to slay thee. But Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, believed them not. Then Johanan, the son of Kareah, spake to Gedaliah in Mizpah secretly, saying, Let me go, I pray thee, and will, I will slay Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no man shall know it, whither he, uh, wherefore should he slay thee, that all the Jews which are gathered unto thee should be scattered, and the remnant in Judah perish. But Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, said unto Johanan, the son of Kareah, Thou shalt not do this thing, for thou speakest falsely of Ishmael. You get about three verses into chapter number 41 and you find, in fact, that Johanan was not speaking falsely about Ishmael. And very soon after this, Ishmael with ten men would assassinate Gedaliah, the Jewish governor that the Babylonians had left in leadership. Now, uh, we're going to look at this thought tonight of faulty hearts and itchy feet, but I wanted us 
to begin by reading this chapter. I'm not going to read chapters 41 to 44. We're going to note some highlights from those chapters in the remainder of our time this evening. But I want us to consider tonight the importance of staying put. The importance of staying put. I was talking to my dad yesterday on the phone, and next year he will celebrate 35 years pastoring the same church. And I was thinking back over the fact that there are two different times that I remember where he thought of moving on when there were chapters in the life of the church that he pastors where there were some difficulties. But instead he stayed, one when I was a teenager and one when I was his assistant pastor. And I got to tell you, I'm glad he stayed. Now, listen, there are times when it is God's will for people to move on, whether it's for a pastor to move to a new church or for a person to leave a church that is compromising, is not standing for the truth, uh, or where maybe there are other biblical issues uh, that need to be confronted and they're not being dealt with. But in this case, I'm really glad. And so Dad, Dad has invited me back. I'm going next month, and I'm going to preach his final revival meeting that he leads as pastor uh, before he retires next year. I'm glad he stayed. I was thinking about um, somewhere around 10 to 12 missionaries and church planters that have come out of that ministry at Wayland, who are all over the world, and uh, South America, uh, Baffin Islands in Canada, Belarus, uh, Colombia. I mean, they're just uh, Brazil. There's been one in Brazil. The Ivory Coast, there's a missionary out of uh, Wayland that's going to be in the Ivory Coast. Um, there's somewhere else I was trying to think of, Norwich, Connecticut, a church planner, Lewiston, Maine, North Carolina, uh, Aruba, the Solomon Islands, uh, places like that, and uh, young people all over the globe serving the Lord as a result of the ministry there at Wayland. I was thinking about this, too. Uh, we often talk about pastors staying a long time, uh, but it's commendable when families stay a long time at a church. Okay? And I'm saying praise the Lord for that as a pastor, for families that stay a long time at a church. I was thinking about two or three different families at Wayland where my dad pastors, that dad has had the privilege of pastoring four or five generations of that family. Now, I admit it, that this is, that is a rural community. It's a farming community typically when you're dealing with a mobile, a more mobile urban area uh, roots are not as deep, but in an agricultural rural area like that, roots typically go deeper. But five generations, my dad pastored the great-grandparent, who's now with the Lord, grandparent, parent, then the child, and now grandchildren from those married children, five generations. And I commend those families for that. That means that they've had to deal with a lot from an imperfect pastor. And a dad has said that as much. Again, obviously there are times that God moves uh, people on or will have people to hang up their stirrups, so to speak. But I want us to understand tonight that the general tenor of Scripture is even when trouble comes, stay put. Don't quit. Work through the troubles. That's how you exercise biblical love. That's the issue that God uses for the purpose of sanctification in our lives. I was uh, reading Tony Evans, the preacher from Texas, tells the story of a father who was trying to teach his son the importance of uh, not quitting and staying put. And he told his son, son, don't be a quitter. Stay put. Hang in there. And he said, uh, look, at, look at Abraham Lincoln. Don't quit. Look at Thomas Edison. Don't quit. Look at Douglas MacArthur, son. Hang in there. Don't quit. And the son's 
the anticipations building as his dad's giving him this inspiring speech. And then the dad said, and look at Elmo McCrinkle. The son said, Elmo McCrinkle? Who's that? He goes, exactly. He's the one that quit. Life is littered with the wreckage of homes, marriages, churches, jobs, and friendships where someone thought it was easier to leave okay, than to stay and work through the issues. Now, all that being said, uh, I want to look at this story in the remainder of the time that we have together this evening and understand the importance of dealing with faulty hearts. And by the way, it was Jeremiah who said in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay. And we're going to see an illustration of that in the message before we quit tonight. Now, uh, Jeremiah's time in Israelite history, I'm going to just briefly move through. If you want to take a screenshot of this when this is finished, that's fine. I'm just going to quickly move through this. uh, And I know that they'll be showing this on the live stream as well for folks who are watching tonight. In 1876 B.C. uh, was Jacob's entry into Egypt. Remember that? Uh, Joseph had gone before him. Jacob brings the whole family. That was 1876 B.C. For 430 years, according to prophecy, uh, the people of Israel would grow from a family to a nation. And then under bondage in Egypt, God would send the deliverer Moses. And in 1446, 430 years later, God would use Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of their Egyptian bondage in what we call the Exodus. 1406, why the gap between 1446 and 1406? The 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because they had been given the opportunity and the command at Kadesh Barnea to enter the land. They did not believe God. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were, and two were good, okay? So, finally, after 40 years wandering in the wilderness, under Joshua's leadership, Moses is removed from the scene. Joshua's leadership, the conquest of the land of Canaan. Uh, They come around from the east side, the land of the Ammonites and the Moabites. If I'm doing it your direction, it's this way. We'll see a map here in just a moment. They cross the Jordan River. They implement divide and conquer, penetrating the center of Canaan land, splitting, going north, going south. That took about seven years. And then uh, after the period of Joshua, then we enter into a period in Israel's history called the time of the Judges. Okay, then after the time of Judges, uh, in uh, honoring or if you would, giving in to the request of the people of Israel, he gives them, God gives them a king. Uh, Though not God's choice, he's the man that God gives him. That's Saul. Saul's reign begins in uh, uh, 1050, okay? That ends the period of the judges and begins the period of uh, the monarchy. 1050 to 930 B.C. So this is Saul, 1050 to 1010. David, 1010 to 970. And then Solomon from 970 to 930. Uh, the United Kingdom will be split under Solomon's son Rehoboam. Ten tribes to the north, Israel, and God will reserve two tribes, Judah and Benjamin in the south, for the seed line of David under Rehoboam. Uh, 930 is the divided kingdom. 722 B.C., I believe that's 208 years later, uh, uh, the Assyrian captivity of the northern ten tribes takes place. And then 605, 597, and 586 B.C., three phases of the Babylonian captivity. I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. It is the providence of God, the sovereign hand of God, 
that because of the seed line of Messiah through the tribe of Judah, that it was the Babylonians who took the southern tribe into captivity and not the Assyrians. The Assyrians had a foreign policy that when they conquered a nation, they scattered that nation. They blended them with other peoples in order to destroy so that it could never be resurrected the national identity of that nation they had conquered. The Babylonians had a different foreign policy in the sovereign plan of God, and that foreign policy was you raise up people from within your conquered people, those conquered people, and you educate them the way you want them trained, and you make them the leaders over their people. Hence, young men like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And you keep those people together. It's better for relations. It helps with rebellion, keeping rebellion down. Keep those people together. That was significant because it would guarantee that the people of Judah were kept together to help preserve the remnant so that when the return from the captivity came, uh, took place in uh, 538 B.C., the, Jew, the people of Judah had national identity and the seed line of Messiah was still intact. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. All right. So... Three phases, 605 was the first phase, 597 the second phase, 586 B.C. the final phase. This is when Nebuchadnezzar had had enough. He had made too many expensive trips from Babylon to put down rebellions and uprisings in Jerusalem. And he said, okay, we're going to fix this once and for all. And it was on that third time, 586. He actually held a siege for two years from 588 to 586. Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, was the king of Israel or the king of Judah at that time. And for two years, the siege would be in place. Finally, the people were starving in the city. The Babylonians were able to break through the walls. They burned the gates with fire, level the temple, and leave Jerusalem completely uninhabitable. They take the, uh, a final group of people captive, but now we're at this stage where, and I'll mention this in just a moment, the three prophets, we're at this stage, this final phase of captivity, 586 B.C., where the only people left back in Israel and Jerusalem were basically the off-scouring, the worst and the weakest of the people. It's interesting, you can outline the Babylonian captivity with three different prophets in 605 B.C., Daniel the prophet, as a young man, would be carried away in that first phase of the captivity to Jerusalem. And he would be God's representative in the palace of the king of Babylon, the kings of Babylon, and the kings of Media and the kings of Persia. A second prophet, a major prophet that we call him, is the prophet Ezekiel. He was taken captive in the second phase, 597 B.C., 12 years after the first phase, he was taken captive and he would be not in the palace in Babylon with the kings like Daniel, but he would be with the captives who were the remnant who 70 years later would return. He would be with the Babylonian captives by the banks of the river Kibar. Then the third major prophet that helps us to outline the Babylonian captivity was Jeremiah. He is the one who still boots on the ground in 586 B.C. He's the one who, since the reign of Josiah, all the way up to the captivity, get this, folks, for 54 years, had faithfully and consistently preached to God's people to get right with God. And when the point of no return came, as far as the consequence is going to be the captivity, when the point of no return came, it was Jeremiah who, in spite of persecution, being beaten by his own family, being put in prison, he faithfully continued to proclaim, submit to Babylon, 
Stay in Israel, and whatever you do, don't go to Egypt for help. His message consistently sounded those three notes. Submit to Babylon, stay in Israel, and don't go to Egypt. Chapter 40 is significant, and it stirs my heart every time I read it, because Nebuzar Adon, the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's guard, recognizes the importance of Jeremiah and what Jeremiah has been prophesying and rewards him, gives him his liberty, says, we'll give you whatever you want, we'll take you wherever you go, everything's before you. If you want to go back to to, uh, Babylon with me and retire in style, I'll take you. If you want, wherever you want to go, and we're going to, it's going to be all expense paid, is essentially what Nebuzaradan says to Jeremiah. And my heart is stirred when I think about Jeremiah. I got to tell you, if I would have been Jeremiah, after 54 years, and these people continuing to be the way they were, I think I'd have probably said, I'm with you. When does the next ship leave for Babylon? But not Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, no, God still wants a man here, and I'm going to stay. I love that. The Lord had a man in the palace in Babylon. He had a man with the captives in Babylon, and he had a man left behind with the off-scouring of the captives in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah would live out the rest of his life with these people that hated his guts. Couldn't hardly stand him. So, three prophets. Now, I'm going to bring up a map here, and I want to just point out a few things here, and I've got the laser pointer here. Uh, This is a a map that takes the, the tribal allotments of the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament period and lays it over the map of Israel as it currently is. You can see the dotted lines coming up here, the Golan Heights, uh, up, you can see Lebanon up here. You can see the Gaza Strip. But this, these are the tribal allotments as they would have been uh, in the, the 12 tribes of Israel after the conquest of the land of Canaan. So I want you to notice right here, this is going to be, and I'll, I'll flip to a second map here in just a moment. This is Benjamin, the tribal allotment of Benjamin right here. You can see all the other tribes, even these, the two and a half tribes, the one of the half tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben on the other side. You remember the story of that. Here is Ammon. This is Ammon, Jordan. The exact same city was Rabbah of the Ammonites. This is the city where Ishmael was headed. Okay? Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So here's, here is, you can see a city called Gibeon here. Mizpah was just a little further north. Of Gibeon, you can see Jerusalem right here. You can see Bethlehem right here. And remember, all these cities, Mizpah, Gibeon, Jerusalem, and Bethlehem, are literally all just three or four miles apart. Okay? If you start with Mizpah, it's about three miles south and a little west to Gibeon. From Gibeon to Jerusalem is just a few more miles south and back to the east. And then about five to six miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, or the little city next to Bethlehem that we'll talk about in just a moment, the city of Chimham. You're saying, Pastor, I'm not into geography. Okay, just stick with me. This will give you mental orientation here, okay? Uh, and, I, and I get that, all right? Here, uh, here's a second map. Let me advance to the second map. This is a close-up of the tribal allotment of Benjamin, okay? You can see the outline of Benjamin right here all the way to the Jordan River, east across the Jordan, literally uh, Ammon, 
Uh, the land of Ammon would be right over here off the map on the wall. Here is Jebus, also Jerusalem. Here is Bethlehem down here. So Mizpah, Gibeon, Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And near Bethlehem was a little city or village called Chimham. Across this way here uh, is Ammon. And then further on to the south down here, you may have seen this on the previous map, was Egypt, where, uh, where the, the children of Israel are wanting to go before the story is over. So now let's put all this together. Here's what happens. Nebuzaradan oversees the destruction of the city. The final phase of the captives are sent to Babylon. Nebuzaradan appoints a man under Nebuchadnezzar's authority. He appoints a man by the name of Gedaliah. It's interesting. Gedaliah was the grandson of a man named Shaphan, who was the scribe who delivered the scroll that was found in the remodeling of the temple, delivered it to young King Josiah. So here's a Gedaliah, grandson of Shaphan. This man has a history, a good lineage. He also is in line with the message that Jeremiah has been preaching. Submit to Babylon, stay in Israel, don't go to Egypt. Okay, And that's one of the reasons that Gedaliah is appointed by Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar as the governor of Israel when the Babylonian, the main Babylonian army goes back to Babylon. Now, here's what happens. He appoints Gedaliah, Nebuzaradan, appoints Gedaliah to be the governor. He gives Jeremiah his freedom, wherever you want to go. Jeremiah says, I'm staying put. And he tells him, then go, go help Gedaliah. And all these people, even people from the east across Jordan, begin to cross back over into the land of Israel. Those who fled the Babylonians into the land of the Ammonites, into the land of the Moabites, into the land of the Edomites, they all cross back over and begin to gather around Gedaliah at Mizpah. Johanan, who was the captain of the forces in the field and had escaped any battle with the Babylonians, when the Babylonians have departed, he comes to Mizpah as well. And he sees this man named um, Ishmael in the company of those who've gathered around Gedaliah, the governor. And he says to him, he said, listen, he is in the employ of the king of the Ammonites, and the first chance he gets, he's going to assassinate you so he can take all these people captive east across the river to the Ammonites and give the Ammonites dominance over the last bit of the people of Israel that are left in the land. Gedaliah doesn't believe him. But Johanan was right. And a short time later, Ishmael with ten men assassinates Gedaliah, there's another contingency of people that were coming, 80 men coming, weeping to unite with Gedaliah. Uh, Ishmael hears they're coming. He goes out, slays 70 of them, gives 10 of them. And you can read about this in chapter 41 and following. He gives 10 of them their life because they promise that they'll pay, pay him off for their life because they've got some treasures they can give to him. So he kills Gedaliah. And then he takes all the people that had gathered around Gedaliah as captives, and he's going to take them to Ammon. He heads south out of Mizpah. Now, let me just mention this about Mizpah. It's, Mizpah is significant in the, in the nation of Israel's history uh, because it was at Mizpah in particular that Samuel and some of the judges, they would, they would gather the people at Mizpah about six miles north of Jerusalem. Mizpah was significant because it was the place where the na nation as a whole would gather, can I say this, to hit a reset button, okay? To recommit to following the Lord. 
And so Gedaliah significantly gathers the people in Mizpah. He ends up being assassinated. Ishmael then takes everybody captive. He heads south out of Mizpah. He swings a little bit to the west. You can see this here. Here's Mizpah right here. He comes south out of Mizpah, swings a little bit over here to what are called in the scriptures in our section of scripture, the great waters of Gibeon, apparently to get water before they then would head straight east across the Jordan. And he was taking all these people captive for the king of Ammon. Johanan, the man who had warned Gedaliah in the first place with all of his soldiers, hears that Ishmael has in fact assassinated Gedaliah and he chases down Ishmael All of the captives begin to rejoice because they're going to be set free. Ishmael takes eight men and hightails it for his life and runs across, uh, runs, flees across, east across the Jordan River. And as far as I know, we never hear from him again. By the way, it's not the same Ishmael that was Abraham's son. I'm sure many of you have figured that out. Okay. Anyway, then what Johanan does, this is interesting. Johanan instead of going back north, after he's delivered all these people, instead of going back north to Mizpah, from where he rescued all these people here, instead of going back north, he does something interesting. He takes all these captives further south, past the ruins of Jerusalem, to the outskirts of Bethlehem, to a little settlement called Chimham. Why is he going south instead of back to Mizpah? Jeremiah happens to be with this group. And at this point, and you can read about this. I would encourage you to read. uh, I know Jeremiah is not the most favorite reading in the Bible. okay? But there is some real intrigue in places like this. Jeremiah, they, they come to Jeremiah. Johanan and the other leaders and all these captives come to Jeremiah. And they say, okay, tell us what God wants us to do. This really begins in chapter number 42. And uh, we won't take the time to read this, but uh, chapter 42, they come to Jeremiah and they say, verse number 2, they said unto Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 42 and verse number 2, let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Now, let me just say this. Before the chapter is over, you get to the end of chapter number 42 and verse number 20. Jeremiah tells these people, you're, you're lying. You really don't want to know what God is saying. Verse number 20, for ye dissembled in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God. So they were deceitfully asking. They already knew in their mind what they wanted to do. Now remember, what had God's message through Jeremiah been all along? It had been, stay in Israel, submit to Babylon, and don't go to Egypt. But for decades now, the people of Israel had been wanting to go to Egypt. By the way, interestingly enough, in the scriptures, Egypt is often a type or a picture of the world. They had been wanting to go to Egypt, chafing to go to Egypt, all right? But they come, they feign as if they really want to know what God's direction is. They, they come to Jeremiah, and Johanan says, tell us what the Lord says. And this is interesting, too. Jeremiah takes 10 days. The Bible tells us, verse number 7, chapter 42, and it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. And he basically says to them, he says, God's will has not changed. 
Stay in Israel, submit to Babylon, and don't go to Egypt. He tells them in verse 11, be not afraid of the king of Babylon. One of the reasons they wanted to go to Egypt is because they were fearful that Nebuchadnezzar would eventually come back and just slay them all. And more death would come and more famine would come and more pestilence would come. Notice verse number 10 of chapter 42. If ye will still abide in this land, then will I build you and not pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand, and I will show you mercies unto you, that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. Stay put. Submit to Babylon and don't go down to Egypt. As you continue to read chapter 42, the, the, Johanan and the rest of those captives, they say, or this remnant, they say to Jeremiah, they say, you're lying. God didn't say that. You're making that up. They even blame Baruch, <laughs> Jeremiah's scribe. Chapter number 43, they said, Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us. And I have no idea all that's behind that. There were times when Baruch, Jeremiah's scribe, would publicly proclaim a message from a scroll that Jeremiah had written under inspiration. Jeremiah was in hiding because of his life being uh, threatened. And so Baruch was safe and he would come. And I don't know if it just raised Baruch in prominence in the minds of people. I don't know if Baruch got the big head himself. Chapter 45, God speaks specifically to Baruch and says to him, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Okay? And so it may well have been that was the case that Baruch was bigger in people's eyes than he should have been. And the people were so enamored with that, they're like, Hey, Baruch told you to say that to us, not to go down to Egypt. And it's funny to me, you know, when you're looking for excuses, you can come up with any of them, right? Okay. Blaming Baruch, I'm like, the guy's just the scribe for crying out loud, okay? But here's what happens. They tell, and, and, and Jeremiah warns them, and you can read about this in this series of chapters. Jeremiah warns them both before they go to Egypt and once they get to Egypt, he warns them. He said, listen, the very problems that you think you're fleeing here in Jerusalem will follow you to Egypt. You're fearful of the, the sword of Nebuchadnezzar coming back to get you here in Jerusalem and Israel. You're fearful of famine and pestilence here. God's told you he'll take care of you if you stay put right here. But you're fearful that, that Nebuchadnezzar's sword is going to come here again. And so you're thinking that fleeing to Egypt will get you away from that. And then he says this, I want you to know that if you go to Egypt, the very sword of Nebuchadnezzar that you fear getting you here in Jerusalem will get you in Egypt. The sword of Nebuchadnezzar would come to Egypt. The sword of Nebuchadnezzar would defeat the nation of Egypt and would defeat the Pharaoh. And all of those Jewish captives with Johanan would, in disobedience to the Lord, go to Egypt. And get this, they took Jeremiah with them against his will. Notice, if you would, chapter 43 and verse number 6. Even men and women and children and the king's daughters and every person that Nebuzar Adon, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. So they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus they came even to Tahapanes. 
when they get there. God continues to motivate Jeremiah and tell Jeremiah, preach to these people. And so he preaches to them, and he even has him go to the entrance of the palace of Pharaoh Antiochus, and in a brick kiln, put a bunch of big stones in there with his hand, cover them with dirt, and then tell the people of Israel that Nebuchadnezzar is going to set his throne and his royal pavilion, his battle headquarters, on this very spot. And every one of the children of Israel that fled the land of Israel in disobedience to the Lord, they will be killed. None of them will ever get back to Israel. Boy, there's so much more that I could say, but the time is long gone. Let me just do this for our learning. Paul said in Romans and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things were written aforetime for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Just several practical applications for our learning. The first is this. And again, if you want to take a screenshot of this when we're finished just for later meditation and study, that's fine. First of all, if a person is running from problems, moving to a new place rarely ever solves those problems. Problems will generally always be waiting at the new location. Okay? Even if you move in the will of God, problems are going to be waiting for you there. It's a part of life. But if a person is running from problems, moving to a new place rarely ever solves those problems. Secondly, in fact, a person carries his or her own worst problem right along with them. Somebody tell me what's the worst problem that you and I have that we carry right along with us? Ourselves, our own heart. Okay, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The face that I shave in the mirror every morning. Blaming others for the problems is self-deception and only prolongs the resolution. I'm thinking about the children of Israel blaming Baruch uh, for Jeremiah's message to them. Others, and I think about this in this case, Jeremiah, being forcibly taken to Egypt against his will. When for 54 years he had faithfully served the people of Israel. And for decades now he had consistently preached God's message Submit to Babylon, stay in Israel, and don't go down to Egypt. But now he's drugged down to Egypt. As far as we know, he died there. He may well, we won't know until we get to heaven, he may well have been slain by Nebuchadnezzar's armies when they destroyed Egypt. It happened in history. That Nebuchadnezzar defeated Egypt. But often others are needlessly harmed by the collateral damage of a person's running from his or her problems instead of facing them biblically. But I want us to finish with this thought, and then I've got an illustration and we'll close. And I know I've been a little longer than normal this morning or this evening. It's not morning yet. Don't worry. God is faithful to his word. When a person stays put, faces his or her problems biblically, God's way, and humbly submits to God's plan, God is faithful. And I see that. Chapter 42 and verse number 10 Down to verse number 12. I'll read this again and then close with the final story. If ye will still abide in this land through Jeremiah, God says this to Johanan and the other uh, remnant there in Israel. 
If ye will still abide in this land, then when I, will I build you and not pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I repent me. Uh, the idea there is not that God was wrong and now is getting right. The idea of that word repent is that there was a tension that had built because of the sin of the people of Israel. Now the sin has been dealt with, and there's a release of that tension so that God cannot deal with his people differently. I will repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercies, or show mercies unto you that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. I would rather stay in a place and face some problems in the will of God than to think I am fleeing those problems and go somewhere outside of the will of God and find my problems only multiplied. And often it's after a season of staying put, staying in Israel, submitting to God's plan, even if we don't like it, okay, and not going the way of the world. But it's after a time of that that God often will bring about great blessing. Okay. So this is, this is just something the Lord reminded me of. By the way, you move further in the book of Jeremiah... Uh, and you'll find that God comes back around and he says, now, just for the record, I'm going to take care of Babylon too, okay, for what they've done. And you can read about that beginning in chapter 46 and on. When I think about this important principle of in the will of God, even if it's tough, staying, staying put, I'm reminded of the uh, story that I'd only heard a few years ago. My mom was saved uh, in the uh, 1970. Uh, along with her younger sister in a Sunday evening service, church service at the Gospelite Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. How many of you have heard of it? Okay. Dr. Bobby Robertson pastored that church for over 60 years, I believe, and uh, several years ago went to be with the Lord. But it was only several years ago, and, and by, after my mom and my aunt got saved in a Sunday evening service, after Dr. Bobby had preached, my mom, tell, I've asked her about it recently, and she said that of the Two of the three sermons that they heard that day, two of them were on hell. <laughs> and she said, after two sermons on hell, I had to get saved. And as she trusted Christ as Savior, walked down the Sunday evening service and uh, trusted Christ as Savior along with her uh, younger sister, Carolyn. About a year later, an assistant pastor from the home would be making a follow-up call of my grandparents and would lead my grandparents to Christ. They were in their 50s. But here is a personal part of the story that encourages me every time I think about it. And that is this. I found out several years ago that several years before my mom got saved, Dr. Bobby had been going through a series of great difficulties at the Gospelite Baptist Church to such a degree that as a 29-year-old man, he had a heart attack and nearly died. Okay. He called. He was thinking about leaving. He called Harold Seitler in Greenville, South Carolina, and told him what he was thinking about doing, and Dr. Seitler told him, stay put. Stay put. Don't quit. Stay put. Don't quit. And Dr. Bobby, and by the way, I recommend the same thing. If you're thinking about a major decision, be humble enough and honest enough to submit yourself to somebody's counsel who's going to put your feet to the fire. Okay. But it was several years after Dr. Bobby decided to stay put that my mama would get saved. And soon after that, go off to Bible college, meet my dad. And there are many other families that have been impacted through that ministry because after that period of difficulty, 
Bobby Robertson had stayed put and God blessed abundantly. Stay put. Don't quit. Stay in Israel, the place of God's blessing. Don't go down to Egypt, the way of the world, and submit to God's plan, even if it means Babylon. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And God, I, I know I've gone longer than normal, but uh, I believe it was necessary to get the whole picture in. And I pray that you'd take the thought of this this evening and, and just warm it into our hearts and so that it becomes a permanent guidepost for us in days and years to come when it comes to friendships and our marriages and our church relationships and and uh, other and employer and employee relationships, when the easy thing would seem to be to leave, I pray that you'd help us to remember this account and to remember these principles. And I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.